This is the Ezra Podcast. And we're talking Javante Tank Davis versus Rolly Romero. This is a post-fight for that fight. I think the fight ended pretty much how everyone expected this fight to end. I just don't... I think leading up to it, there was a few things that were unexpected. I think uh, Rolly Romero's performance up to this point, up to that point was unexpected. Maybe Tank showing a little signs of struggling in that fight was unexpected, but... It's funny because if this were to, um, if you were to tell me in this fight that, that Tank, you know, it'd be kind of competitive for like the first four or five rounds. I would think like, well, that says that says uh, negative things towards Tank. Uh, honestly, in a fight that he should win very comfortably, in my opinion, going into the fight. Uh, I didn't think that Rolly really ever showed anything at a high level that said that he could be able to compete with Tank or showed that he was a close to an elite fighter or a top level 135er. And Tank had shown the ability um, that to me that he was in the conversation for being the best 135 or without not talking resume, of course, because resume is terrible. But just uh, skill, eye test, all that. I thought he could be in the conversation of saying if someone told me that that was the best 135 pounder, I wouldn't think that was outrageous at all. Now, he didn't earn that crown, that name. But I'm just saying if you had a taco, who would beat everyone if they did a tournament and you pick Tank, it would have been ridiculous. But Tank did struggle uh, earlier in this fight, or at least it was competitive, right? And I don't think it was negative. I don't think that was a negative thing towards Tank. I think the Rolly Romero, which I said going into the fight, has you know definitely shown more skills. Um, definitely shows that he was, and as far as like, I mean, not more skills. He definitely showed that he was getting smarter using his own style, and he was getting craftier with his style and how unique his style was. He was, you know, really kind of exploiting how unique it is. And another thing to kind of was catching my eye a little bit. I don't think I commented on it, but it didn't matter. What thing I saw was, you know, he was he was a little faster with his little faster twitch muscles, especially with his like back step, and he showed a lot in this fight. He was getting out of range, uh, really quick, so he wasn't allowing uh, Tank to respond early. Now, I did say like in the third round, I, I tweeted out that I, th- I thought Tank kind of was figuring out the range and the timing a little bit more, and I did think that that was kind of signs to me that this fight could become uh, more one-sided right away. It didn't happen exactly the next round, but the round after that, the fight was over. It, the reason why the ending wasn't, I don't think, uh, surprised anyone is just because the mistakes that Rolly made that everyone could kind of see. And you had to, you know, I think everybody's thought process was if you make that mistake once, twice, three times in front of Tank, you know, uh, that's, that's just too many times to make those kind of mistakes. And for a guy like Tank, that it's not the kind of power where it's like, yes, wear you down. Or, you know, has to, you know, uh, beat you with the multi- hit you with multiple shots and beat you down to get the stoppage. No, he has one punch knockout power. And he has uh, lightning fast speed. And he, like I told you, the balance. The balance is the most important part of the whole combination. Because he's always in position to land that punch. He's always in position when you make a mistake to capitalize off of that mistake. And that's what he did. Once Roly really mis- made the one mistake, he capitalized off that one mistake. That's all he needed. And that's what separates him in my mind from everyone else. Like, I just don't see, I don't see Haney having the 100% consistent performance that he needs to beat Tank. I just see mistakes happening. And I see, especially late, like when he's, you can start reading his timing and start realizing that he's kind of just stays in range. Once Tank figures that out, when those tanks start landing, I think, I think the fight's over. People saying Shakur Stevenson, who's 130 pounds, if he moves up to 135, people say they're favorite Shakur Stevenson over him. And I understand because Shakur is 
been dominant over everyone he's faced. Um, no one close to the level of Tank. But that style, Tank can match his speed. So a lot of guys can't match the speed with Shakur, so they can't get the openings they want. But Tank can match the speed, and he, but also he can match the foot speed. Also, he can match the movement, right? And he can also follow uh, Tank on that 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 step backwards, right? And if Tank chooses to open up, there are openings there for Tank, and that's all he needs, just slight openings. Now, I thought Lomachenko was the toughest fight for Tank. It's still, to me, possibly is the toughest fight for Tank. But I'm favor- I, I, as when I thought it was a close fight, and I was favoring Lomachenko uh, maybe like a year ago, um, a year ago, yeah, for sure, I was favoring Lomachenko in that fight. Too much time has passed it for me. And the Comey fight, even though Lomachenko looked damn good, he was dominant. It's just, I used, I, to me, I saw just a little bit of slowing down. I saw a little bit of not the same gas tank. I, I, I'm favoring Tank now in that matchup. I think that's still the toughest matchup for Tank just because Loma, to me, can have a more consistent performance through a whole fight. I think that he can... Uh, avoid like the bigger mistakes than I think a lot of these other guys can do. And I don't really buy that Shakur can be offensively enough uh, to win a decision versus Tank. I just don't see that. I think that Tank would kind of be able to keep Shakur home with his uh, game plan. And if he got Shakur opening up, which isn't Shakur's game, I think that would really favor Tank. I, I'm not going to say that Shakur can out-gunsling Tank. It's just not going to happen. And I think that if he has Tank shelled up, I mean, if he has uh, Shakur t- shelled up and not able to you know, really open up and kind of has to play it safe, I'd favor taking that fight. So to me, if we're doing a tournament, I think Tank will come out winning. Now, that kind of goes, you know, but what do I always say, right? What am I? I'm the guy that says about resumes and talks about, you know, that you have to earn it and we can't just give it to you. So all this being said, to me right now at 135 pounds, Haney's the only one that's really going for, you know, having like the best resume. So this goes to the, Haney versus Tank Davis, which is obviously the, the conversation that's kind of leading the um, leading the race today, I guess, of, of all the topics of the this post fight is Haney versus Tank Davis. And saying all this about Tank and everything he can do, he's not doing it against like the highest level of competition. And honestly, the competition is only getting rated high because they're showing glimpses of what they can do against Tank. Now, I think that has a lot to do with like Tank just really trusting his game and really trusting that he's going to find the opening when he needs it or he'll pull his game together towards the end when he kind of like figures out the speed and timing and then he'll be able to secure the win and you know sec- uh apply his game plan and just be dominant in the fight later as it goes so early rounds you know it gets kind of competitive like i just seen when he was fighting Rolly, it really was showing me some good stuff there was things that i th- i did think that i i didn't expect from him but when i seen it, i was like oh that's pretty good and he showed signs of it like in the yizhet fight but there was a point where I thought, like, oh, the K-Tank's figuring it out. And it was only a matter of time. And that was the case. But he's not fighting the top guys. And you got to look at Devin Haney, right, who hasn't been able to get into the top guys. And he's been calling out for all the top guys. But no one's been really willing to take that fight. Now, if you listen to Leonard Alby, right, who says, well, why would they fight Haney, right, who is going to want more money than everyone they're fighting, but doesn't necessarily bring in more money than everyone they're fighting. Why would they fight him? So, that makes logical sense, right? As far as the business-wise, that makes logical sense. And Devin Haney, who was on matchroom, right, where wasn't a lot of guys for him to fight, they would just kind of try to scrap opponents together. A lot of the opponents he got were because Ryan Gar- uh, Garcia had to pull out or turn down the fight. 
And then Haney would get it as far as Leonardo, as far as Jojo Diaz, which Jojo Diaz is Haney's definitely his best win. And if all the matchups of the top guys last year, it was Haney was number one with that matchup. Now, it wasn't the best win after all because Cabosa got the upset over Tiafimo. But going into this year, with the top matchups of all the top guys at 135, Haney once again is number one with fighting Cambosos. So Haney is going the route of getting the names that he needs to solidify himself on top of 135 pounds. And if he beats Cambosos, he will be on top of 135 pounds. And there won't be really any debate to be had. I mean, you could say Lomachenko, but what is Luke Campbell, Pedraza, Linares better than Jojo Diaz, Linares, and... Cambosos, Cambosos who's coming off beating Tifimo, and I'm not high on Cambosos, I'm not, I'm not high on him, but if you're telling me, you know, best resume in 135, he's going to win it, because no one's really fighting each other, like, no one's really fighting the top elite guys in his weight consistently, and you know he's going to go off for that, he'll have to fight either Cambosos again, or he beats him so bad that he just goes straight to Leonardo's, so then he's going to go fight, who's arguably one of the top guys, the top dogs, back-to-back Cambosos and Leonardo's. And if he gets both those wins, it's not even, no one's even close in the conversation with him in 135. He's clearly the king in 135. I think he's going to get the crown of being in the lead when he, if he beats Cambosos, which I expect him to beat Cambosos. I'll have my official prediction later on this week with my podcast. But if he beats Cambosos, then goes Leonardo's. It's like it's not even close. And it was Tank. I already broke down what Tank's going next. It's going to probably be Isak Cruz next, number two, or Ali Rivera. It, whatever order, it's going to be those two next. And then... Uh, Valenzuela, which he needs to, uh, if he wants that Valenzuela win to be some kind of big win or Ali Rivera to get a big win, they would need to beat like a legit credible opponent. They're not coming out of, they don't have any legit credible opponents unless they fought each other, right? It's just like, it's not going to happen. So they're going to have, probably have another fight where like a guy's ranked, but it's a guy that they can beat and they'll beat them and then they'll eventually fight Tank. But those aren't going to get Tank ever to where you can debate with him and Haney. If Haney goes through the guys that he has next, there won't be any conversation. Okay, And even if I think the Tank could beat Haney, that doesn't mean a damn thing because Haney's proving it in the ring. And like I said, it's not to be critical of a Tank. I'm sure Tank is not afraid of Haney. I'm sure Tank will fight all these guys. The business end of it is kind of like not making sense to fight all these guys for his promoter to take that chance. The part that gets weird is... The whole buildup to this fight was Tank saying that he's done with the money team, right? That he was done with them because they weren't getting him the fights. They weren't getting him the top guys. And he does the interview where he says that he never asked for these guys. So that doesn't look good. Um, he talks bad about Floyd Mayweather. Says he needs to do it on his own. He's going to take the training wheels off. It's a weird buildup for a guy that kind of sounded like the night of that he was going to stay with the money team. It's very strange. Very strange. I think they were not even talking about it enough to how strange it was. But if he's going to stay with the money team, he kind of put himself down and almost made it in a way where he couldn't sign back with the money team without catching a lot of flack for it. Because it's true, he's not fighting the top guys. And he is a, a you know, he is a star of some sort, right? He is a star. I mean, he's a star. No, no, no. So, sorry, he's, af- he's a- absolutely a star. He's a pay-per-view star. Now, he hasn't reached Superstorm as far as pay-per-view sales. Like, he's not doing 500K. He's not doing 600, 700, 800, uh, close to a million. He's, no, he's like 250 to 300. It's still good in, in these days of pay-per-view sales. That that's, that's still good that you could do pay-per-view. And he's making good money. He's, probably making, he's definitely making the best money, I think, of the 135ers. So there's no incentive with them putting them with these guys because maybe the money wouldn't be too different. Also, these guys are under other promotions. So now you would have to go across and split and it, it gets complicated. 
one thing I do want to point out is that David Haney was just a free agent. David Haney just signed with Top Rank. So that means that there was a deal that could have been made with David Haney. Now, they'll tell you that there wasn't, right? People will tell you that there wasn't a deal that we made, that it had to go through Matchroom. But it didn't, obviously, because Matchroom is not a part of David Haney's fight right now. It's just Top Rank. So it did, if, if PBC or the money team wanted to get David Haney to fight Tank, that could have happened. There were no interest in doing it. Business-wise, I get it. Right, I get it business-wise, and this is where it gets complicated in boxing because you gotta have a you you have a guy like uh, Javante Tank Davis who's gonna get paid decent to fight a guy like Roley Romero who's only gonna take you know a million maybe a million five, and he's gonna get paid nine to ten million to take the fight, and you want we want him to fight David Haney who's gonna want four to million four to five million, and take a piece of that cut and. And not bring in a bigger audience to cover the amount of money that he's taking extra. Like business-wise, like, you see where it gets complicated? It's a, the, the fights, the important fights don't necessarily relate to the biggest fights. So the money's not always there to make sense for these fights. So I think you're going to end up with a thing where Devin Haney, if he could beat uh, Lomachenko, that's a big if to me. I don't, I don't think I'm favoring in that fight. But if he could beat Lomachenko, you're going to have a guy that's the legit to me, uh, legit king of 135 versus the guy who's the money man of 135. Like, that's where the debate's always going to be. Now, maybe at that point, the fight makes a lot more sense, right? Financially, because Damon Haney would be well, uh, way more well-known. And finally, the um, the maybe the audience will catch up with him and he's going to be fighting on ESPN and he's they put him on first six. So maybe it'll catch up with him. At that, at that point, man, Damon Haney beats Cambosos and if he beats Lomachenko, the fame will catch up to him where he's a big name, and now this fight is a super fight, and then the, the, everybody, uh, uh, everybody would have been right for waiting to do it. But at that point, when that happens, David Haney's for sure the king of the weight division, and the only thing that Tank's gonna have is that he's the money guy. That's the only thing he's gonna have. But when it comes to fighting and getting it done to the ring, Haney will have all that claim. It will, will not be no conversation. The funny thing is, like, the situation we're having at 147 with Earl Spence and Terrence Crawford is that Spence is the money guy, and he's also the guy with the better resume. And I people are going to want to argue that. They're going to tell you weights and belts, but they'll never give you names. They'll tell you weights and belts, but they're never going to give you names of who Terrence Crawford beat. But that fight's still going to get done. And remember that that fight's getting done because of Earl Spence. Remember to give credit for that fight because I'm telling you right now, he's the name and he has the resume. He wants that fight. That's why that fight's getting done. He's pushing for that fight. He might even be taking a little cut to get that fight. He's calling in favors to get that fight. When it comes to Tank and Haney, even if Haney, I think, goes through all these guys and everything, I still think Tank will be the bigger name, be the bigger star at that point. It'll make a lot of sense when they match up because one guy's going to have all the credentials and the other guy's going to have all the um, the pay-per-view buys, the the star power to make that fight. I, and I think maybe that's what we're going to have to end up waiting here. I think it's going to be a long debate between these guys. But like I said, we're you know all forgetting Lomachenko somewhat. 
in this conversation. And I, I hear a lot of disrespect for Lomachenko as far as, oh, you know, Shakur would run through him and Haney will finish him, retire him, and Tank puts him to sleep. And like I just said, I'm favoring Tank in that fight now. But I, I don't. I don't see Haney beating him. I really don't. I got to see like consistent performances from him and not where he gets shaky in the middle in the end. Um, you know, Shakura, you know, is very good at 130 pounds. I'm not, I'm not doubting that. He looks excellent. No one's really uh, even ever come close to him. But to say that he's in the mood at 135 and be as dominant and uh, against a guy like Lomachenko, who is not Valdez. I mean, it's just they're not even close to each other. I think that's a little bit outrageous. I think that's kind of ridiculous. So if Haney did get to that point, which is a big if to me, I think that would be a huge fight, mega fight. Maybe that's the point where we start talking about it. Maybe we're talking about it too soon, but that's how you build these things. You talk about it a little too soon. But he will have the crown of being the best guy at 135. And that's coming soon. He's about to take it right now when he fights Gambosos. That's just the truth of it. Where do I want to go from here? I mean, you got Haney Cambosos coming up this week, and it's just been, uh, you know, it's been like an insane schedule for boxing. It's like every week we have um, massive mega fights where, you know, like every fight that's happening is important. Like if it's important for pound for pound, it's important for the weight division. We're really getting like stuff settled here. I don't know if we just kind of hit. Sometimes these years just happen where like everything just hits at once. Or maybe this is just going to stay consistent now. And that would be a great thing for boxing if this could stay consistent. Because boxing has been stealing the headlines. One thing you got to realize is that, you know, the UFC is kind of going a little bit softer with their fights they're offering free on ESPN Plus, right? They're going lighter with the schedule. And the way, you know, UFC works with the ranking system and all that, it's, it's, there's not, doesn't leave a lot of room for like debate or speculation. It, it doesn't leave a lot of room for that. And it kind of, the only speculation you kind of get or debate or hot takes you take is like usually on like the business end or like the financial terms for a fighter, but that gets boring as far as just like following the sport that gets boring. But boxing, because it has so much business end of it and so much weird nonsense rules or like how the business works. It just always leads to like an interesting conversation or, uh, you know, the result is always like has 10 storylines after it. So boxing, if it can stay consistently right with this schedule, if you can stay with a schedule like this and it, it really don't make no sense why it couldn't. Right. Because now the fighters are really catching up with how all these uh, network aligning works. And now they're going to the promotion that says, hey, you have eight guys for me to fight. I'll sign with you. Because that's going to be more more opportunity. And the, the promotions are like, yeah, we're going to attack this one weight division. I'm going to log up this weight division. Can't get enough guys for here. I'm going to skip that whole weight division. I'm going to get this. So, yes, it's true. We're all separated. People across the street and everything. But it kind of turns into like one league when you could just get the weight divisions all together. Even though if it's on zone or one weight division all on PBC and one weight division all on top rank. Well, that's kind of like what we've been hoping for, right? It's kind of, you know... Um, a one league it kind of is it kind of could turn into that even with multiple promotions if all the guys in the weight division go to that one thing the problem is is when you get like i said crawford goes to top rank and spence goes to pbc and it's like okay they're across the street and that's what happened with haney tank but haney's on the right side where he could fight all the other 135ers they have and they have guys that are growing up like Keyshawn davis shakur moving up he could also move up and fight tia uh josh taylor 
who you notice that Josh Taylor is looking to stay at 140 now because there's no one for him at 147. Because why? Because PBC owns 147. See how that goes? So now people are figuring out. It's, it's see these things. They 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 uh. It takes time, right? Like we have uh, the whole landscape of boxing change, and you know it's definitely something we're gonna have to go back and look as when these uh, HBO uh, stop showing boxing and all these networks started coming in and locking in uh, promotion and saying like, okay, these fighters only fight on this sort of network for this promotion. And it took times for the fighters and managers to figure out how it worked, but I definitely see that they. You know, are definitely catching up to this system, and this system don't look like it's going anywhere. It looks like network alignment is kind of here to stay for the time being, especially like with streaming and all that. But now you're seeing that once the fighters kind of figure out how to make it benefit them in certain ways, that we could get the fights we want because you want to go where all the competition is. You don't want to get stuck where there's no one there because you could get good paydays like a Demetrius Andrade, which isn't a bad option, right? Like go somewhere, get good paydays, but then get stuck where they can't make the fights. And especially with the zone, you know, it looked like they had locked in all the middleweight division, but the way the contracts were all spread out through promotions or they signed, you know, one guy that's not even with a promotion just signed him and they couldn't, they were signing these guys, but were not locking in these fights and just kind of like, Oh, you know, we'll be able to make it once we have it. And these guys all had different intentions of what they wanted to do. That's where that disaster hit. But these guys learned from that as well. Like everyone's learning from these past mistakes and kind of fixing it now. And that's why I think we're getting these excellent fights. I think that has lots to do with it. It's just the promotion manager and fighters figuring out the system now. And I think going forward, this could be, you know, consistent. And that's what boxing needs. It needs consistency. It, it can't go back to where we have a thousand tune-ups. It really can't. We should have a great fight every weekend. At least one. We've been having like two to three, honestly. I did think the undercard was kind of harshly, harshly critical. Uh, there people are harshly critical of the undercard for the Tank and Rolly fight. Um, I don't, you know, there. One of my theories was proven correct uh, with Lara and O'Sullivan, right? Where so O'Sullivan at this point, he's entertaining, I guess, but he, he's there to be had. And Lara's not a guy that wants to chase. Uh, you know, he's. His legs aren't there, so he's not going to run from a guy. You're not going to have to chase him. And he's kind of looking to put uh, everything on his punches now, sit in his punches and look to get you out of there. O'Sullivan gave him everything he needed. Now, Laura, if we're being honest, or if you're like looking at it objectively, object, whatever word that is, if you're looking at it and you're you know, studying the fights and studying what he really could do, he looked old. He really did. And yes, he could do some still... Uh, he still sharpens the left hand. He's still very smart in there. He shows glimpses of, you know, has precise and speed and power. But he didn't look sharp. But he didn't look great in that fight. That's just the honest truth. What he got was a highlight in that fight. And that's what he needed. I mean, to sell going forward. That's all it really that mattered. These fans don't care, like, the technical aspect. Or they don't care who the level of the opponent was. They just want something to look at. Something to retweet. Something that goes all over Twitter. He was trending number three. Over not stopping... Uh, O'Sullivan. I'm telling you, you do not need to fight credible opponents. If you have a pay-per-view and you have a star on the pay-per-view, you should not be putting your opponent against credible opponents. Unless you have like an insane matchup that both guys are known and people can't believe it's on the undercard, then okay, that's fine. But if you don't, you just have one name 
don't get another guy that's going to be competitive that no one knows, right? Because chances are that ends up being what we had with Jesus Ramos and Santa Maria, right? And I, I wanted to say that going into this, right? That that was the one that, to me, I thought it was an interesting matchup, but I do like the effort of watching the guys post uh, fights before these fights, and I build, I get, learn all the storylines going into it. So I'm invested. Like boxing, one thing about the sport is if you invest like the time to learn the fighters and learn the undercard and see the previous matchups, you can easily get invested into the card, and you can really be interested in what's happening because you got to realize that Jake Paul is not putting on, uh, he's not an excellent fighter, right? He's not a high level fighter. So that should let you know that you don't need to just see high level fighters. I want to see the best fight the best. Yes. I mean, on if the, if it were to, um, if it's too like tank, like I said, tanking Haney, yes, I want to see that. But on the undercards like that, the reason why we watch Jake Paul and you're interested when he fights and you're like nervous when he fights and you're on the edge of your season fights because you're invested into the story of it. And that's what, you know, like it takes a little effort as, you know, as far as boxing fans. And that's why I kind of offer, try to offer on this podcast is like try to give you a little bit of insight onto the fight and get you a little bit invested into the storyline or what could possibly happen or how, how it could look. Because if you do that, then a lot of these fights are more entertaining than, than what you're, you know, when it's just two guys you don't know and you're not invested, of course, you're going to be like, oh, it's a bad undercard. But Hesus Ramos kind of suffered from Santa Maria, who was tricky, crafty, made it a competitive fight. But I thought it was an interesting fight. I thought it took strategy. It took uh, adjustments. It really showed something for Hesus Ramos, who kind of struggled early and was able to pull through. It didn't fall apart. It showed all those things, but people were very critical in that fight. Critical on Hesus Ramos after it. PPC would have been way better off just giving him a can to smash, and people would have been like, this is the future. I guarantee it, because Laura was training number three for being O'Sullivan once again. The first fight, very competitive. I thought very entertaining fight versus Melendez uh, Ramirez. People down on it. No one's really invested into it. Uh, Ramirez gets the W. Maybe uh, I wasn't sure how like the what the sanctioning rankings were for that fight, so maybe that's why he needed it. Probably would have been better if he just put someone to sleep. I don't think you know. I don't think anyone was really too hyped for uh, Ramirez going forward. Anyways, I don't think he has like this big giant following or anything like that. But I'm telling you, you get your guy, what's your name, and you put him against a can and let him get the knockout, let him get this highlight, and it would do way more for his career on these pay-per-views with a star at the main event. It just would. It's, I, and Laura proved it 100%. He was training number three, beating Spike O'Sullivan. I don't need to say more. Thank you guys for listening. Please uh, f- subscribe to my YouTube, Ezra Podcast, Spotify, Apple, Ezra Podcast, anywhere you can find a podcast, basically. On Instagram at Ezra.boxing, on Facebook at Ezra Boxing Pod, and on Twitter at Ezra Boxing. Thank you guys for listening. Peace.